Another podcast edition of the Peter B. Collins Show. Peter B. is curious, opinionated, and relentless in pursuit of the truth like a honeybee drawn to pollen. He's an independent progressive, ready to sting Republicans and Democrats alike when they deserve it. After years in commercial radio, Peter B. welcomes you to this audio adventure in news and politics with no corporate filter. Listeners support this program, and you can help at PeterBCollins.com. Here's your humble host, Peter B. Our program originates in San Francisco, and I'm delighted you're listening on the Internet. Yeah, series of tubes, you know. And I want to thank three listeners who've helped make this program possible. David Lichtenstein, John Zweibel, and Annuel Rinaldi. They're all regular contributors, subscribers to the Peter B. Collins Show. And if you're a newbie, this program is distributed free, and you shouldn't feel guilty about listening. If you're able to support us, we appreciate it. Just log on to my website at peterbcollins.com. Over on the right-hand side, there's a tab that says You Can Help. And you can sign up for a voluntary subscription via PayPal for as little as $5 a month. I just learned the other day that there is a candidate running for Congress here in California who openly challenges the mythology of 9-11. His name is John Fitzgerald. Hold the Kennedy. John, welcome to our secret studio and the Peter B. Collins Show. Hey, Peter. Thanks so much. I've been listening to you for years, actually about 35 years, so I'm showing my age. And I want to just take this moment to thank you very much. Most people are frightened by a guy running for Congress who's a painting contractor. <laughs> I think it must be the brush or the roller. They're just, they're literally afraid of me, especially the Democratic Party. They seem to agree with most of the stuff I say. They tell me, yeah, what you're saying, you're speaking a lot of truth. But they don't give me the forum, and you're doing that, and I really appreciate it. Thanks for getting in contact with me. Well, I'm happy to do so. I just learned about your campaign uh, via email the other day, and I gave you a call. And if you've been listening for over 30 years, well, we both had hair uh, when you started. That is true. (laughs) And I actually did the hair plug route about 20 years ago in my 20s before, as my friends say. Well, you want to do it before you lose all your hair so people don't notice. Uh, Well, well, I I took the pledge. I'm a member of the Bald-Headed Men of America. And our motto is no plugs, no rugs, no drugs. I'm bald and I'm proud. Well, I'm proud now, but it took some time. <laughs> but I, I have the confidence now, and I've had it for about 20 years. Don't yeah. anybody, please, listen to Peter, listen to me. No hair plugs. Yeah. Be yourself, be confident, and just love who you are. And maybe a little sunscreen from time to time, because when sure. you burn up there, it's no fun. That's for sure. Well, John, you have decided to challenge George Miller, who yes. has been in Congress for over 30 years. He is a well-known progressive uh, Democrat. He is uh, uh, one of uh, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker's uh, lieutenants in the House of Representatives. 
uh, as chair of the uh, Resources Committee. Uh, he is a strong environmentalist, and on many issues that matter to progressives, he votes the right way. And often, uh, he, he's a very tall guy, and he yeah. uh, is an imposing figure mm-hmm. who isn't afraid to uh, debate strongly and sharply on the things that he believes in. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate what you're doing because even though you may not knock off this incumbent, you are speaking for me and many other Americans who, number one, believe that no issues are off limits, and number two, believe that nobody is entitled to hold public office or to keep holding it just because uh, they've done a pretty good job in the past. Yep. And I want to start off by telling you about an encounter I had with George Miller at the Democratic Convention in Denver in 2008. And I've known George for a long time. We've had many pleasant conversations. And so we started out in a a kind of nice, uh, pleasant way. And then I said, George, I've just got to tell you that since the Democrats regained control of the House, the best report card grade I could give you is a D. And he was shocked and his face turned red and he started to sputter and he was pissed that I would talk to him in that manner. And I said, George, you just compromised my Fourth Amendment rights with this phony uh, FISA reform law. He said, well, I didn't vote for that. I said, well, good for you. But the leadership directed that that be passed. And just before you came here, Michael Yockey, Nancy Pelosi's former chief of staff, who's head of the platform committee for the Democrats, proudly told me that the passage of the FISA reform takes that issue off the table for the fall campaign. And I said, Michael, when's it coming back on the table? Oh, I don't know about that. And I also talked to Miller about the failure of Democrats to end the U.S. occupation of Iraq using the power of the purse. It's always been available to them. The cowardice that they showed repeatedly when the Republican leadership would jam ugly bills like the Military Commissions Act on them right before a congressional break or an election and force the Democrats to show that they're not weak on terrorism and that they're strong on the kind of illegal national security tactics used by the Bush administration. And I learned later uh, that uh, staff members uh, got chewed out uh, because Miller didn't expect what I was going to say to him there. And he thought that somebody should have warned him about that. Well, I I don't tip my hand in advance when I do an interview. I haven't done it for you. Uh, But I, I think that that episode really depicts the way the Democrats um, have operated in power, which is that they may nibble away at some of the excesses that Republicans passed in the first six years of this new century, but there's no fundamental change and no challenge on the most critical issues. So I applaud you for taking this run and for going out there and speaking truth because it's a rare commodity in our political process today. Thank you. You know, it's funny, you alluded to David meets Goliath, basically. I am taking on George Miller here, and uh, I'm not here to demonize him or vilify him, and you're not either. The fact is, if you look at what's going on right now, there really isn't much change. Uh, I voted for President Obama. I was very happy to vote for him. But change is incremental, I'm finding out. And when you look at George Miller's record right now, the health care issue, for instance, 
you find out it's not on the news because now I know after researching, and boy, I, I please, everybody that's listening to the show, please do your own research. Don't rely on the news. 90% of the news is owned by five corporations tied to oil, tied to the banking systems, tied to insurance companies, nuclear energy, and weaponry making. And that would be also GE, which is NBC, one of the top weaponry contractors in the world. But there are two things that are greatly lacking, I believe, in our country today. And those are truth and responsibility. And I think it's time that people like us, a guy like me, a painting contractor, who's a savvy guy. I mean, I study, I research, and I don't have all the answers, but I educate myself. And my adage is, I can't convince people unless they do some research on their own. I can only lead, like the old adage, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to lead them to water and just say, listen, I've told you some information. I've given you some information. Now it's your turn to do some research, uh, research on it. George Miller, who was talking about single-payer health care, voted down on H.R. 676, which is Dennis Kucinich's bill, which took our right as the state of California out of our hands. He took it out of our hands for single-payer health care, and he hedges on that. But the record shows he voted no. I saw him speak recently, and he talked about the Transparency Act. We need to find out where our money's going and Wall Street and the bailouts. Well, the fact is he voted no on H.R. 1207, Ron Paul's bill, so he took that out of our hands to find out where is our money going, why don't we audit the Federal Reserve? Well, he said, well, we don't need to, I guess. That's not honesty, that's not truth, that's not responsibility, and that's what my campaign is all about. And I've got Republicans working for me, I've got Independents working for me, and I've got Democrats working for me. You know why? Because I'm an American first, and I think most people today feel that also. This is not a partisan issue as far as I'm concerned. There's enough to go around, enough blame to go around. There's collusion on both sides. I want real change, and that's what I'm trying to do. I want people to debate. You might not agree with everything I have to say, but please, debate. Educate yourself and educate me on some of the issues that I don't know too much about. I want to learn. That's all I'm asking you to do. Please take the time to learn. Really learn, because this country is going definitely in the wrong direction. If you look at health care, you look at, well, there's so many things to look at, but if you look at the unemployment rate, so many things are going in the wrong direction, and nobody's doing a thing about it. The infrastructure is dilapidated. It's going to take about $2.3 trillion. So what do we do? We spend about $950 billion a year on defense. $950 billion a year with a B. China, who's the up-and-coming power, spends about $80 billion a year. If we were to double what China spends, $160 billion a year, that would free up about $800 billion for us to infuse into our infrastructure and for our educational system, which is greatly dilapidated also. And George Miller was the chief signatory on the No Child Left Behind, and the fact is a lot of children have been left behind. Yeah. So that's why I'm running. Well, John, let, let me start with the, what I consider to be the fundamentals, because um, policies are important. But we have a constitutional principle in many respects that is just being ignored, and that is related to accountability. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can jump into a story anywhere you like, but uh, for our purposes here today, I'd like to start with Nancy Pelosi's taking so-called impeachment off the table, mm -hmm. uh, and Dennis Kucinich, uh, who ultimately was permitted to introduce charges, but uh, they were never pursued in the Judiciary Committee, mm -hmm. uh, really was one of the few honest people 
who was willing to confront the wrongdoing that occurred under Bush. And uh, Pelosi did that for political reasons, much the way Yaki explained why they try to take FISA off the table. Mm -hmm. And I did understand that politically, that during the campaign of 2006, it was Karl Rove who really started this by saying, well, if we have Democrats in the majority, they'll move to impeach the president. And so Pelosi said, well, it's off the table because she didn't want that to be uh, a sideshow to the march to reclaim the majority in the House. And after that election, there are a lot of things she could have allowed in terms of just pivoting politically to say, well, the people have spoken. And Chairman Conyers is an independent chair of the Judiciary Commission uh, Committee, and uh, he's conducted an investigation. Voluminous report has been published. And so uh, I'm going to permit him to uh, follow his conscience and follow the dictates of his committee. But she didn't do that. And I believe that that permitted uh, the gaming of the system during the last two years of the Bush presidency leading up to the Wall Street meltdown and the, the need for the huge bailout. And uh, she is complicit, in my view, in all of those huge blunders and they come back to the constitutional principle that no one is above the law mm-hmm. and that had Bush and Cheney and others been investigated uh, under impeachment or uh, a special counsel, we would have seen uh, sharp limits. Their seatbelts would have been holding them back yep. from driving the bus off the road uh, as they did uh, during 2007 and 2008. Mm-hmm. Now we have Obama who's saying he wants to look forward, not backward. Mm -hmm. And so we can't investigate torture. We can't investigate the origins of illegal wiretapping that started before Mm 9-11. And we are are constipated (laughs) as a nation because of the uh, phony limits that have been placed. And I'll let you respond to this in a sec. But the, the problem I have is that Impeachment was not optional. It wasn't a political choice that uh, could be selected or not. And, you know, holding Bush, Cheney and David Addington and others accountable for what they did in clear violation, intentional violation of our laws and our treaties is likewise not optional. Mm -hmm. But we're told to just sit down and shut up because it's more important to pass a watered down health insurance reform bill. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I agree. It's interesting in this day and age that we talk about transparency in our government. We talk about accountability with the officials in our government. But you look at George Bush and Dick Cheney and what they did. And everything in our future is due to our past. And when you study our past, especially since 9-11, you find out that we were lied to. And this is where I say it's not a partisan issue. The fact is the Democrats have control now. They could have held hearings. There could have been accountability about no weapons of mass destruction. I heard Colin Powell speak that day at the United Nations, and I looked at my girlfriend at that point. I'm married now. But I looked at my girlfriend. I said, he's not telling the truth. He's just being a good soldier, which is a bad soldier in my eyes. He's not being honest. I, I knew it. You mean to tell me that our elected representatives who have, are privy to all this information and intelligence, they didn't realize that? But this is the problem for me. When they did realize it, why didn't they come forward and say, you know what, we're going to have these hearings. We're going to prove what we think has happened 
we're going to bring it out to the American people and have hearings, and there's going to be accountability. And George Bush, in my eyes, and Dick Cheney should have been charged and should to this day. There are no statutes of limitations, by the way, on this, mm-hmm. with war crimes. And this goes directly at the Democrats right now. I challenge you, all you Democrats out there, to speak up and write your representatives. You're not getting much representation in Washington right now, so you've got to take it into your own hands. Why don't you write letters, call your representative, call Washington, call President Obama's office, and say you want an investigation, a real impartial investigation, because this country is going in the wrong direction, and all we're doing is propagating, in my eyes, more lies and propaganda about this war on terror, which I think you can actually go right at it, 9-11. 9-11 paved the way for what our country wants to do around the world for resources, and those resources are oil. And we're at peak oil right now, which means we're on a decline. We have to come up with alternative fuels, new energy. And if we don't do that in the next 30 years, and these, this isn't just me. This isn't John the Painter speaking right now. This is John running for Congress who's researched like you wouldn't believe with corroborated stories from government officials and military officials, including Bob Bowman. Bob Bowman, I've never spoken to him, but we've been corresponding via email. Bob Bowman was the director of the Star Wars program under Ford and Carter. He is not a partisan guy. He's an American first, one of the most decorated Vietnam vets. I've interviewed him. There you go. He's highly credible. He speaks about all this stuff, Mm -hmm. but nobody, except for Peter B. right here, will allow (laughs) Bob Bowman on his show. And that is wrong. And I want Americans to realize you better step up to the plate. This is in your hands. You can't blame anybody if you don't vote. You can't blame anybody if you don't do anything, if you sit there and feel apathetic and powerless. You've got to step up and do something. And I have a very, very strong, passionate desire to do so. And John Fitzgerald, let's open up the radioactive political Pandora's box. 9-11. Yep. And, uh, for example, Van Jones was working at the White House on the Green Energy and Jobs Programs. And after Glenn Beck revealed that he had signed one of the petitions that I've signed and you and many others have, simply calling for a new investigation of the events of 9-11, he was uh, very quickly asked to exit the White House. So you know full well that um, there is a conspiracy to keep the investigation of the true conspiracy theory of 9-11 from occurring. And fundamentally, we know that if you're honest and objective and you look at the forensic evidence of the sites where the attacks occurred, that they do not square with the official story. It doesn't even come close. No, it does not. And so if we start in New York with the Twin Towers and Building 7, the explanations that are offered in the NIST report and that was affirmed by the 9-11 Commission, can only be called bullshit. Mm -hmm. Because the idea that planes hit the top of the Twin Towers and then the fires that were caused by the jet fuel were enough essentially to melt the steel superstructure of that building and cause it to collapse more or less in its footprint are so far-fetched that you know, it doesn't pass a fundamental uh, BS detector. Oh, no. And yet, those of us who raise questions are derided as lunatics. Uh, I've never understood where the tin hat reference came from, but I don't care about it. Uh, And I don't pretend to know exactly how it happened, uh, who may have orchestrated it. 
All I know is that the information that is presented does not hold up to basic cross-examination. Dead on right. And you look at the day 9-11, and you see all these anomalies occurring the same day. It doesn't make any sense. Three steel frame buildings collapsing, and not even asymmetrically, by the way, symmetrically, which is physically impossible. Steel frame buildings have never collapsed anywhere in the United States, let alone the world. And one of them was not hit by a plane. That's building number seven, as you alluded to. Building number seven housed the NSA, the National Security Agency. It housed the CIA's second largest headquarters in the country. It also housed the, C, uh, the uh, IRS, and it housed the OEM, Operation Emergency Management, and the Defense Department. And it also had all the files coming down on Wall Street that were going into fruition within a year, including Enron and WorldCom, and they mysteriously disappeared in this collapse. The collapse was, the, the building was 300 feet away from the World Trade Centers, and it had minor impact at the base, and it had small fires throughout. All these people talked about the fact that they heard explosions at the World Trade Center 1 and 2. People in building number 7, including, uh, I think his name Jennings, is it Bruce Jennings, I think it was? Mm -hmm. He talked about explosions going off. And this is before the building one and two collapsed. And he said he heard explosions and he was holding on for dear life. And he even mentions the fact that he thought he was stepping on possibly bodies, but everything was pitch black. We have not been told the entire story, that's for sure. Black boxes. First time in history, black boxes aren't found. But then they say, oh, well, we did find one, but it was so badly damaged we couldn't ascertain what was on it. Another anomaly. First time in history, NORAD did not respond or need. 67 times prior to that, F-16s, F-15s went up to intercept planes that were within the barrier or the borders of the White House of any city that was being attacked. The Pentagon, no planes went up that day, the first time in history, 67 other times prior to that, without a hitch within 20 minutes. That's why we need a new investigation. The fact is we never really had an investigation. And if you look at who actually ran the investigation, it wasn't Keene or Hamilton. It turns out it was a gentleman who's no gentleman. That's a misnomer. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. His name was Philip Zelikow, who wrote a book with Condoleezza Rice about how to get us into a war with Iraq for oil. Nobody even knows this guy's name that I talked to. Nobody knows about building number seven collapsing. It's interesting. And building number seven was not even mentioned in the final report. Right. It's unbelievable. It's unconscionable. Yeah. They didn't investigate the uh, the financial crimes that occurred no. around 9-11, the options that were taken, Put options, uh, yes. betting that uh, United and, and American Airlines stocks would go down. Somebody made a, a neat little fortune there yep. on the misery that occurred in New York, but the commission wasn't interested. No. There were many people who I've talked to uh, over the last few years, John, who had something to say to the commission and, you know, went and raised their hands and said, you know, I work for the FAA. I can tell you about uh, airport security issues and uh, these emergency response issues. Those people were not permitted to testify. Yeah. And I've told this story before, but it's, it's worth retelling that I went to Washington and observed the work of this 9-11 commission. And I was there on the day when Donald Rumsfeld, then Secretary of Defense, uh, uh, spoke. Uh, testified isn't accurate because he wasn't under oath. And uh, he was permitted to just kind of roll around in his mouth the question, a critical question, 
when did you order jets scrambled to defend the Pentagon on the morning of 9-11? And he essentially just didn't answer the question, ran out the clock, and uh, dutifully, uh, Governor Kane uh, gaveled and said, next question from the next uh, commissioner. And so uh, it's riddled with holes, and the media refuses to take it on. It's uh, for a journalist or an investigator. It's clearly one of the juiciest stories that Mm -hmm. you could unravel should you choose to do so. But there is a clampdown on this, and even people who I deeply respect, like uh, Congressman Kucinich, have shied away from uh, being as full-throated as you are uh, about questioning these issues and demanding a new investigation. And it's because there is a a very clear uh, ridicule and marginalization that is quickly applied to anybody who raises these questions. That's very true. And uh, I don't care about that, actually. And I have no problem. You and I talked about that earlier. I don't have any issue with people wanting to ridicule me. I have strong convictions. I have common sense. And if anybody looks at what the government's told us and looks at the evidence that's out there besides the government's official story, which is not, it's it's ludicrous, to say the least, you will find there were three criteria we never had at the alleged investigation, 9-11 Commission's report. Nobody was under oath, I think, until, what, two-thirds way through, I think it was? I think it was about two-thirds, yeah. Mm -hmm. No immunity was given to witnesses. Bush and Cheney uh, didn't testify. They had a conversation with the chairs of the commission without any transcription, and certainly they were not under oath. Exactly. And no subpoena. No subpoena power. How do you have a real investigation, a thorough investigation, without those criteria. Well, and even the co-chairs wrote a book uh, about two years later and said, you know, uh, they didn't give us what we asked for, and they gave us information derived from torture and did not reveal that to us. And even they, you know, painting inside the lines, uh, were outraged at at, uh, what they had done. And uh, I showed you this new book by John Farmer, who was the lead counsel to the 9-11 Commission, which purports to tell the untold story. And there's very little that's new there, nothing that is critical. And uh, it's now six times that I've requested an interview with him via his publicist at the publisher, and uh, they must have done a little investigation and decided uh, that he didn't want to confront a guy like me. Sure. They keep telling me he's just too busy to talk about it. Now, I want to direct people to your website, John Fitzgerald, F-O-R, for Congress.com. John Fitzgerald for Congress.com. And, John, I uh, took a, a gander through the issues page here, and I'm very impressed at the positions that you're clearly taking. You're not a soundbite candidate who's trying to use, uh, you know, smoke and mirrors or just little tidbits to attract people uh, and, and try to sell them on you. You're taking very clear positions on a whole range of issues before us and allowing people to make up their own minds about whether they can support you. And I, I want to touch on just a couple here in, in the sure. time that we have. One is the shift in the anti-war block of the Democratic Party. Because when Bush was the president, um, and and clearly some of the uh, uh, activism was driven by people's uh, antipathy for Bush, Mm -hmm. uh, but there there was a clear component of the Democratic Party that coalesced around a guy named Barack Obama Mm -hmm. because he had the clearest position of opposition to the war and had not been in the Senate when John Edwards and Hillary Clinton 
uh, took the votes to authorize Bush to go to war in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, he is starting to bring home American troops. It, nobody came home in uh, the bulk of 2009, but uh, the troop presence officially is down below 100,000, and it does appear plausible that they'll get to about 50,000 by August. I'm not convinced they'll get all the troops out by the end of 2011, as uh, Bush promised in the Status of Forces Agreement with the Maliki government in Iraq. Mm -hmm. But I'm most troubled by Afghanistan, because um, while Obama did try to burnish his his, uh, warrior credentials in the campaign by saying that he would focus on Afghanistan and win it, uh, it's not winnable in any sense of the term. And he has articulated at different times in different places all of the objections that you and I raise to um, the expansion of U.S. presence there. And while he did conduct a very public review of the policies last year, it was clear from the get-go that withdrawal was never an option that was, quote-unquote, on the table. So, first of all, your view of the Democrats' failure to lead, including the 60-plus members of the Progressive Caucus who were so vocal in opposing Bush on Iraq, um, and then what your prescription would be to try to deal with a Democratic president who wants to expand our military presence in Afghanistan. Well, first off, Peter, I, I told you I have strong convictions. I believe we should be pulling out of Iraq completely, Afghanistan completely, Yemen We're in Yemen also, folks, Mm -hmm. and Pakistan. I believe when you look at the research out there, and it all once again goes back to the 9-11 events, this war on terror, we have actually committed a lot of terrorism. In my view, what we're doing right now in that region is causing more terrorists. If we pull out and we start diplomacy, and you can have diplomacy. I'm tired of people saying, you can't be diplomatic with these people. Well, if you study our own government and see what we've done for the last 50 years, look at the Gulf of Tonkin incident. We've had false flag operations for decades now. If you aren't familiar with the Gulf of Tonkin incident, what it was was uh, Johnson and McNamara in Vietnam, 1964, said that we were attacked, that our ships were attacked by the Vietnamese, the South Viet Cong, and killed our soldiers, and they showed bodies floating off the Gulf. Uh, the Gulf. What happened was that did not happen. That never occurred. That was a lie. That was a false flag operation to, to actually draw us into the war in Vietnam, where we lost 58,000 of our soldiers. For that reason and many other reasons, I look at the war on terror and I say, is there really a war on terror? How do you end a war on terror? It's a war on words. There's nothing that we can do right now that's going to cause less terror unless we get out of there and bring that money home and start diplomacy. And I don't believe the Democrats are any better than the Republicans on that. In fact, I think they're almost worse because they don't have any backbone right now. And I think it's time we get people in there that have backbone, like a Dennis Kucinich, who, for the most part, talks about pulling us out of that region. Well, he just, he just led a uh, debate, uh, and I believe there were 36 votes that he garnered mm-hmm. uh, in favor of uh, immediate withdrawal mm-hmm. from Afghanistan. So I, I give him high marks for trying to frame these issues in the proper way. Mm-hmm. And uh, he also is a guy who just keeps chipping away. He doesn't get discouraged. And I, I think he'll be back uh, to push this further. 
But if you were elected to the House of Representatives, John, mm -hmm. how would you operate to try to build support for your position? Well, I've got to be honest with you. With my strong views, unless you get people that actually can work with you and aren't afraid to actually go after the beast, and the beast being stopping these wars and bringing this money back to this country, it's going to be a tough ride, no doubt about it. So I would like to work with the Dennis Kucinich. I would like to work with Ron Paul on some other issues. I'd like to work with the Bernie Sanders, who's very much against the wars also. And there are other people that are, but they're afraid to speak up. I think they're afraid to lose their jobs. Uh, they're afraid of losing their reputation. But in my eyes, their reputation's lost if they don't stand up with conviction and speak out about what they really, truly feel. And that, to me, is it, it's complete dishonesty, and it's a failure. If you're not going to go in there and represent the American people, if you're going to go there and hedge on what you really believe, you're, you're really doing a disservice to America and your constituents. So I would try to somehow get people like me, if I can get new people in there in other districts, I'd love to do that. Uh, there's Marcy Winograd, who I would actually recommend people vote for Marcy Winograd. She's running, I think, in Orange County. Against Jane Harmon. Against Jane Harmon. It's uh, Congressional District 53, if I have it right. There you go. Mm -hmm. She's wonderful. I've read her platform. I've seen her speak. And she's an amazing person. And that's another person who I think people need to elect. There are several people around this country right now that aren't getting any play in the media, on the, you know, the big networks, on TV. But they are running. There are a lot of people like me running around this country right now that no one ever hears of. So I'd like to get people like that. And I think if we get people like that, we're going to get true representation, and we're going to help this country get back to what it used to stand for. And I want to do that, and I hope that I can earn your vote. It has to be the primary. If I don't get to, through the primary, I'll never get to the general. And the primary mm -hmm. is June 8th, and that's uh, going to be pivotal, obviously. And that's Congressional District 7, 7 in the East Bay. It's centered in Martinez. Correct. And uh, includes some of the surrounding communities there. And uh, I guess the easiest way to direct people is if you've been voting for George Miller in the past, that's the district. Yep. <laughs> you know, and if I may say, Peter, I've been knocking a lot of doors. This is truly a grassroots, and it's not like the Obama grassroots thing. I have nobody backing me. I have, I'm not going to take special interest money, lobbyist money, PACs, you name it. I will not take it. They're not going to come my way anyway, but I would not take that money. I'm knocking on doors, and I'll tell you. We are hitting something. Every time we knock on a door, it could be a Republican, a Democrat, independent, or just those people that just are tired of all of it and they won't vote anymore. They all agree. And when I say all agree, I mean it. They all say, yeah, this country is going the wrong direction. We don't know what to do. We're apathetic. You're right. We feel powerless. What can you do? Well, we just talked about what I can try to do. And I hope to get votes to get in there and fight tooth and nail for the American people. But we've got to do something. If we don't do something... This country is going to go down like you wouldn't believe in the next few years. We're on a path to disaster, an infrastructure that's going to take $2.3 trillion to rebuild, and nobody talks about it. Sorry, we've got to rebuild Iraq. We can't do that. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about exactly, Peter, and you hit it on the, the nail on the head. What about our country? What about our people? What about our educational system? And only that, not only that, when kids get an education, where are they going to get a job if there aren't any jobs available? My business, after 14 years busting my tail, is down about 40% the last year. The housing crisis. I'm living the American nightmare right now. We just sold a house. took us two and a half years. And people say, oh, you must have one of those funny loans. We did not have a funny loan. 
We had a very, very stable loan, but the market just crashed. Mm -hmm. We bought eight and a half years ago and lost our shorts. We got into another house as an investment on a 1031 exchange. We're losing our shorts on that house also. So that house, two weeks ago we moved into it, we're selling that house now. And people say, well, you made some really bad decisions. Well, you know what? I'll take accountability for that. Yeah, we made some bad decisions, but the fact is a lot of people have it worse than I have it. So I'm actually thankful we're above water still, and I've got a very strong family, and I've got people that are going to support me, and I'm going to support them. But we need to support each other. This is an American thing. It's not a partisan thing. We've got to step up to the plate, as I said earlier, and we've got to take on these people that are entrenched in the system who are not representing us. People need to realize that 277 of our representatives in Washington are millionaires. You have to realize that there are about five lobbyists per representative right now in Washington, D.C., 166 former congressional aides the last two years. You've got to wait two years to become a lobbyist during this whole health care crisis. We still don't have health care, as you know. 166 former congressional aides left their positions making 135000 a year, which I would love to make. I don't make close to that. They left their positions to become what? Lobbyists for the insurance and health care industry. And that's almost equal on both sides. So don't tell me that this is a partisan thing. These are people on both sides of the table that are working against us as the American citizens of a country that we all love. Well, John, I'm really pleased to meet you. And uh, you're passionate, you're powerful, you're very verbal. And I hope you will take this just as far as you can. I will with your help. It could be an important wake-up call for George Miller and beyond him, uh, for people like him, to recognize that uh, the folks that they think are wedged in to the Democratic Party who would never, ever vote for a Republican, are willing to stand up and say, I'm sorry, you have compromised yourself too far, too often, and it's time for a change. Yeah. And along those lines, Peter, if I may, little plug here, would you people out there in this vast listenership, please call George Miller's office and say, Mr. Miller, would you please debate John Fitzgerald I will not get a debate unless I get people behind me that are demanding a debate in my district. So please, I would ask all of you to write George Miller's office, call his office, and say, you know what, we like what we, ha- we heard from John Fitzgerald, and he brought up a lot of good points. Would you please debate him? Debate is good for this country. And debate would be good for George Miller, too. George Miller could learn a lot of things with a debate with a guy like me, a guy that's living the American dream, which is now the nightmare, and I want to help you, help everybody if we can, but that's going to take you voting for a guy like me. Your, your vote for me is going to help you, and it's going to help your kids, and it's going to help my kids. So please vote for me in the primary. That's June 8th. Thanks so much, Peter. Really appreciate it very John, much. great to see you, and uh, I will post the, uh, the district office number for Congressman Miller on the show file so people can find it with this uh, podcast information at peterbcollins.com. Thanks so much, Peter. And your website, Fitzgerald for Congress, Fitzgerald, F-O-R, Congress.com. Yeah, John Fitzgerald for Congress.com. Oh, it's, it's the full John. Yeah. Yes, okay, John Fitzgerald for Congress.com. All right, yeah. sir, good to see you. Good luck. Oh, thank you so much, Peter. Really appreciate it. As I speak to you, it is Friday afternoon, the 19th of March, about 5 p.m. Pacific time. A veritable free spring heat wave is underway here in the Bay Area. It's about 80 degrees. 
And I wanted to offer a few comments and then wrap up here and get this podcast dispatched to you before the end of this week. And this is going to be a fateful weekend for the Obama presidency. I rarely make predictions, but I do predict that by Sunday, Nancy Pelosi will have rounded up the votes. And the Senate version of health insurance reform, which will become called Obamacare, already monikered that way in the right-wing media, will pass. And Obama will claim victory and try to build something on it. And while I wish the president well, I can only support this bill because of those who oppose it. The insurance companies who stand to benefit the most say they're against it. The pharmaceutical in industry, which cut its own deal and will be stuck with retail prices and no imported uh, prescription drugs, they're feigning, burr rabbit-like. Don't throw me in that briar patch. Don't pass that health reform. And the real low mark here is that I get emails from the Christian Coalition, and all week long, They've been rallying their troops to call Congress to defeat health care reform. Is that what Jesus would have done? And so because a year ago, Obama intentionally bypassed any single-payer approach, including Medicare for All or just expanded Medicare, down through the age ranks, I don't think this bill will cover more people or lower costs. Well, more people will be covered because of the mandate. But that very issue, I think, is the albatross. In this fall's congressional elections, if not before, the Republicans will be talking about personal freedom and how the government is ordering people to get health insurance. And sure, many people will be able to qualify for subsidies but there are others who will find a way to turn that mandate into some sort of personal violation and constitutional violation and because there are no real cost controls built into this package what you're going to have is people required to get health insurance who can't afford it And it is a giveaway, a bailout, for the health insurance industry. They don't need it. They don't deserve it. And it's a very ugly transfer of wealth. It's not socialist. Nope, not at all. It's another sop to corporate America. And uh, I just think Obama has bungled it. And if he is a one-term president... This and the war in Afghanistan will likely be the central reasons. Before I wrap up today, I want to acknowledge the passing of two interesting and talented people. One was Memphis-born musician, one of the founders of this band, the Box Tops, Alex Chilton. He died at the age of 59 of a heart attack. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, this was one of the first 45 RPM singles that I bought with my summer lawnmower income. Alex Chilton was a wonderkind. He was about 16 when they wrote this song, and everybody was surprised when it became uh, a number one hit. And then he lived to critical acclaim, but never had commercial success with a band called Big Star. As a DJ, I played this song many times. One minute and 57 seconds. One of the quickies you could sneak in when you wanted to get one more song in that hour. Well, we lost another great from uh, a little deeper back in my youth. Former Western actor Born on the mountaintop Fess Parker. Green estate in the land of the free. Fess Parker died at the age of 85 near Santa Barbara this week. Killed him a bar when he was only three. Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. I was a Davy Crockett fan. I made a mail-order purchase single-handed through the engine war of a Davy Crockett log cabin without a shred of wood in it. I was crushed. My first consumer heartbreak. Davy Crockett, the man who don't know fear. He went off to Congress and served a spell. Fixing up the government and laws as well. Oh, yeah. Took over Washington, so I heard tell. And patched up the crack in the Liberty Bell. Davy, Davy Crockett, seeing his duty clear. And Fess Parker also later played the part when he come of home, Daniel Boone. When was done, why the Western March had just begun. So and his sidekick his in uh, Daniel Boone was Ed Ames, and lit out who had a hit single of a song called Mingo. Davey, oh no, he played Davey Mingo. Crockett, I'll have to recall what Ed Ames' big hit was. At any rate, when I learned the news on Thursday evening that Fess Parker had died away, uh, had passed away and died, I uh, went into my wine collection and pulled out a 2004 Fess Parker Pinot Noir and uh, cracked it and uh, had a glass in his honor. Fess Parker is a great or was a great winemaker. He uh, bought land near Santa Barbara and uh, prospered and made some great wines over the years, too. And if you have a chance, uh, it's now a Doubletree, I guess, but there is a Fess Parker Hotel 
on the waterfront in uh, uh, Santa Barbara. I think it's pretty pricey. I've uh, been there for uh, uh, food and drink, but never could afford to stay there. Uh, but uh, he left a very interesting legacy. And uh, as we say our goodbyes today, just one more cowboy tune. Roy Rogers, hit it, please. Happy trails. Happy trails to you until we meet again. Happy trails to you. Keep smiling until then.